here. We um, started in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we actually read through chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, but we really only had time to break down chapter 12 and chapter 13. And so this week, the plan is to break down chapter 14 some, but um, because not everyone has been in the room for every conversation, I'm going to try to recap a little bit of this for us and like walk through what, where we've gone. So we, we started this conversation about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago, um, just because like we were seeing God do, thi- do things around us that were in the Bible, but we haven't seen in the modern day very much, or we haven't experienced in our context. And so we're like, what's God doing here? What's happening? And we wanted to see what does the Bible have to say about this? And how can we really begin to to align our what we're seeing, our experiences with God's word and build a biblical foundation for this. And so we began this conversation. The uh, Don't mind her. She's trying to get the uh, recording for us. So she's doing awesome. Thank you, Britton, for running tech. Can you give Britton a hand? She's like the Instatech like, person professional. She makes us look good. Um, but the, uh, I don't know, can you see me if I'm way over there? Am I out of your screen? Okay, I'm trying to get it where you can see, so Hannah can see me too. All right, so the first week we talked about the Holy Spirit and the this different symbols of the Holy Spirit and the way that the Bible described him. And then we really honed in on the fact that he is the one who comes and convicts us of sin. And he is the one who guides us into that walk with Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is someone who comes alongside, who partners with us, who convicts us and draws us into a relationship with Jesus. And so that's his, one of his primary functions is to draw us into a relationship with Jesus through conviction. Then next week, does anyone remember what we talked about? Week number two? Nope, that was week number three. Good guess, though. Week number two is that God uses broken vessels. So, yeah, when we, when we are failures, God still can use us. When everything is falling apart, God still loves us. And just because someone is being used in the gifts does not automatically mean that that is a great person to follow. Namely, Samson, right? Like, <laughs> God did cool things through him. Don't be like him, all right? I'm not going to tell any of my kids to try and be like Samson. That would just be a really bad plan. So God uses broken vessels, and, the, and God's priorities are different than ours. So for us, we would like for a person to be perfect before God used them. Then we can know if they were worthy of being followed. But if God waited for us to be perfect to be used, no one would ever be used. Because we're all broken in some capacity, right? Like we all have fallen short, and every day I still have to wrestle with my own humanity. So the next week we talked about the Holy Spirit connecting with us as individuals. And so that was where we talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the the way that he spoke through um, like the book of Acts with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we see Peter asking this question all the time, like, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And we're like, didn't they have the Holy Spirit to believe? Yes and yes. So like there is something that God has given us that is a special endowment with power that Jesus said to wait on. 
before you try to go out and be witnesses. And so we are inviting God through the Holy Spirit to empower us, to embolden us, to be that witness. Um, and then we looked at the, the church last week. So what is the Holy Spirit's work through the gifts in the corporate body last week? And we talked through the gifts, and we will like hit the high points. But before we do that, does anyone remember what the primary purpose of chapter 12 was? What was the primary purpose of chapter 12? Why did he write about the gifts? Because he wanted to talk about unity. Because he wanted to talk about unity. Yeah. So it actually wasn't about the gifts that he wanted to focus. It was about the fact that the bride, the church, needed to operate in unity. And so they're like, well, I have the spirit of tongues. Another person's like, well, I have the spirit of prophecy. Well, I'm better than you because you can't and you can't and you this and you that and like pointing fingers and arguing and fighting. And they even were like potentially, some biblical scholars believe, kind of creating these like polytheistic almost ideas, much like they had brought from that like Greco-Roman era where they like had all these deities. And so like, well, I worship the sun god. Well, they're like, well, I, the spirit of prophecy is upon me. And the other one's like, well, I have the spirit of good looks. Or like, whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just like they're assimilating. And, and Paul's like, no, there's just one spirit. There's not a whole bunch of spirits that are empowering different people in different ways. There's just one spirit who's given gifts to the bride, to the body, for the purpose of edifying the body. And then chapter 12 bears that out. And so he lists these gifts. And we see... Do you guys remember what they were? In chapter 13? Chapter 12. Mm-hmm. Do you want to remember? Do you want to have memorized? Um, words, of words of wisdom. Words of knowledge. knowledge. Prophecy. <laughs> Faith. Discerning of spirit. Healing. Thank you, Hannah. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. Okay? So you have these nine gifts that he described. They've been given to the church for the edification of the church. But the main focus was not to say, here's all these gifts. The main focus was to say, these are gifts in operation that God has given. They're all given from one God, operated through one spirit, and not one part is more important or better than the other. Right? That's why he describes the body as like the appendix is just as important as the arm and the eye and the hands. Right? So he's like the unmentionable parts which will remain unmentioned in this room too. But the unmentionable parts that we are private and we cover, like those are just as important as the ones that we can see and that look good, like Drew's eyes that like smile at me all the time. I know, I know, he just has great eyes. So the, then he goes into chapter 13. So chapter 12's focus is on the unity of the bride and the oneness of the spirit. So chapter 13 is all about love, love chapter. So this is, again, he's still talking in context of the gifts being used in the church, but he says the primary focus of the gifts is love. So it's not about making money. It's not about looking good. It's not about people applauding you or looking at you or running to you to receive something, but it's about you as an individual in the body of Christ showing love to the people around me. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, 
Though I speak with the tongues of men or of angels and have not charity, good old King James, have not love, I am nothing. I'm like a clanging brass or someone. And if I give my body to the poor, or if I give all my possessions to the poor, or give my body to be burned, it profits me nothing. Like it's worth absolutely nothing, verse 2. So anything you do for the kingdom, if not originating from a heart of compassion for people, it's not worth anything. Mm. Which will actually lead us into chapter 14, which is where we find ourselves today. Okay? Chapter 14 is a very interesting chapter because Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. So this is a Gentile body, and they have created a little like gathering, a church and they're getting together, and there's quite a few things that are just really chaotic going on in the church. And Paul's heard about these things and is like, listen, we got to fix this. <laughs> Something's not right. I mean, I could get up here and be like, oh, como esta? Ah, bien, bien, gracias, you too? And just like, I could pretend like I knew Spanish, which I don't. It's actually very comical, you do. I, <laughs> I'm literally wearing my like missions trip shirt when I went and did vacation Bible school in Ecuador um, a couple years ago. We had a blast. Like I had so much fun, but the students that are with me just laughed hysterically through the entire trip because I would speak like Spanish with an English accent, like I just did, right? And then, and then I would speak English. With a Spanish accent, like Spanglish. yeah, kind of Spanglish style. Like I would try to like, you know, like a like a take the door and fasten, and I would just like I would try to like. They they didn't understand either one, so, <laughs> but like this, if I came and I started speaking in Arabic, to all of you, does anyone know Arabic? Shway shway, little little, <laughs> no okay, well alhamdulillah. Anyone know? You're a funny man. Praise be to God. Well, alhamdulillah. So uh, there's there are praise be to Allah. Oh, technically, so well, alhamdulillah. So there's there's a whole bunch of languages in the world, and in First Corinthians thirteen it says there's languages of men, languages of anim angels, animals, animals have languages too, but men and of angels, and then chapter fourteen. Paul begins talking about the church, and he says, hey, listen, if, every, if I come in and I just start speaking in Arabic to everyone, you guys aren't going to get anything out of it. Or if I'm speaking in my heavenly language to everyone, people aren't going to understand anything. And it'll be of no benefit to you, right? Even if I could speak Arabic fluently, it wouldn't help you guys very much. You wouldn't get a lot out of it. Um, and so we're going to read through chapter 14, not the entire chapter, but we're going to read through it verse by verse, and then I'll come back and we'll kind of break it down. And, and honestly, this is my, my heart out of this is that, um, you will begin like be stirred to investigate even more into like who God is and what God's called the church to look like. And, and I don't want us to walk away saying, oh, well, the church has always been wrong or to point fingers at the church because 
there are always areas where the church is wrong. And I've been in churches where this is normal. Not like the bad stuff. There have been. There have been some people who have used, misused it, okay? Like I've grown up in some churches where they've misused it. But most of the time it's like in a healthy place. But even in the midst of that, I've become very skeptical of the gifts. Is that fair? Because I have seen them misused at times. And so when I read this, I'm like, I don't know. Like that, I, that's, that's kind of weird. So I, I'm a little skeptical. My wife says I'm like the, the most skeptical Pentecostal she's ever met. So just so you know, that's where I'm coming from. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to talk about the different, uh, like, there's a couple of really unique and challenging scriptures, some of which I kind of think I have an idea on, some I just don't understand, and I'll just tell you I don't understand. But um, I think helping us to walk through, like, the use of tongues and the different uses of tongues, as we see in the book of Acts and here in 1 Corinthians, will help clarify some of those challenging scriptures. But at the end, I want us to tie back into why. So we're going to look at, like, Paul's corrections to the church, and then we're going to go back in at the end and be like, but why? Um, but why was Paul so passionate about the church getting this right? And, uh, and we'll, that will be our, our talk for the day. So you guys ready for this? Can you guys help me with reading? First Chap Corinthians chapter 14 verses, and someone can read. Let's, let's look at a good break. Yeah, we can read verse 1 through... Um, do you like verse 8? Who wants to take that for me? Can I help? Yes. I, I love talking Hannah reads her Bible. Can you yeah. read it? Do you want to read it? Yeah. Okay, can you guys hear Hannah?
this little bit small group format which means we're going to kind of like allow for Q&A conversations throughout so does anyone have any initial thoughts what is the main priority that Paul is saying what are a couple of the main things Paul is saying in this passage Blake the most important thing is to what is to build up the church yeah okay that's good the most important thing is to build up the church what else Yeah, so the the corporate worship service is to be com- like a corporate conversation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So there's a teamwork component. It's not just, oftentimes I think in our 
Western society is one guy talking and everyone listening. And there is good in that, but in the early church, what we see is more of a, a cooperative effort. Um, and some might say, well, that could be reflected in a church staff. We have different people coming together, and I know we do like a little creative team with our services, but um, you know, other churches where I've grown up, they'll have people that will bring a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy or will speak in tongues and have interpretation during the service. And uh, depending on the size of the service and the person's motivation, that can have varying benefits. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, so it's a team. So edification, it's a team effort we see. Uh, and that, I think that is echoed from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not just a one-person one show. All right, what else? I think he kind of wraps it up pretty clearly, saying that everything should be done in order. Okay, so honestly what it sounds like and again, Paul has gotten a letter. He's had someone bring word to him, telling him of what's going on in the church. And he's like, dude, quit sleeping with your mother-in-law. You know, he's like got all this list of things that he's trying to correct in the church. That's at the very beginning of the chapter. The la later on, he's like, um, or stepmom, sorry, not mother-in-law, stepmom. Yeah, that's even worse. It's weird. Don't sleep with your stepmom. So he's like, He's trying to fix all the stuff going on in the church. He's like, by the way, when you get together, we should have order in the church. There shouldn't just be a whole bunch of random babbling, everyone trying to talk over each other, everyone talking in tongues. No one's going to get anything out of that. It's of no benefit. So, um, so we need to have order in the church. So that was Paul's admonishment. And I think much of the modern church has taken that almost to an extreme where we've said, well, that any of that stuff is kind of disruptive and we need to, to separate that out because we can't control that. We can't predict it. We can't control it. And therefore, it may be just disruptive. Does that make sense? So I think that's where a lot of the, I don't think that the modern churches like initially tried to like squelch the Holy Spirit just because they feel like he's bad and trying to foo-foo God. I think they're trying to operate and what they believe is good order, but in the process of doing that, maybe we've lost some of those key components that God was wanting us to operate in. And last week, you guys weren't here, so not all of you here, some of you were, we talked about specifically whether or not these gifts, based on scripture, are still active today. And so, do you guys remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, towards the end, it says, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And so the question is, has the perfect come? And the assumption is, is that if Jesus is the only one who is perfect, then he has not come. And therefore, these gifts, even including healing and faith and miracles and all these other things, not only tongues, but all these other gifts should still be available to us as a bride to walk in and to edify the church. Does that make sense? Tracking with me? All right, any other thoughts or questions before I start kind of breaking this down? Okay, I, I have a question. So yes. Whenever, it's, whenever Paul says that tongues are a sign for unbelievers, but yes. then he talks about like if an unbeliever comes in, will everyone speaking in tongues, will they be confused? He sounds like a political yeah. can, candidate right now. 
Like, <laughs> he's like, he says one thing, and then literally the next verse, he says the exact opposite thing. Yeah. That is, have been, like, that has been extremely confusing for uh, biblical scholars forever. And, and honestly, I think a, a way to understand this is actually to understand that there are different types of tongues with different functions. And then it all makes sense. So um, there's, again, like if you're looking at the, the Greek, the same word is used. So it is a little bit of like inference there, but that's the only way I can make logical sense of that, like what appears to be double speak. Because he literally says it one way, and then he says the exact opposite thing, like the next verse. Same as opposite. Yeah, so the, um, and I'll, I will get into that. Okay. So when we go through the, the, the types of tongues and their usage. So that's a great question. Any other questions or thoughts on this? No. All right, so chapter 12, he describes multiple gifts, right? Nine different gifts that have been given to the church. And then we move into uh, chapter 14. Chapter 13 says it doesn't matter if you don't have love. Chapter 14, he says, he really kind of nails down uh, kind of two specific gifts that he talks a lot about. He talks a lot about prophecy, and he talks a lot about tongues. And then kind of the, if you make a, a diagram, prophecy as we continue to read, he's actually not only talking about prophecy in regards to foreknowledge, as a lot of times people view prophets, but we talked about last week, prophecy can also be um, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. It could be even the just uh, proclaiming of God's word for the edification of the bride. You know, like that, those all kind of fall under uh, conviction, edification, et cetera, et cetera. The old prophets, they didn't only predict the future, but they also talked about the current situation and what was going on in there. So prophecy is a much broader picture, not just only foretelling. So when you hear the word prophecy, it's not just only speaking of foretelling. I think there's other components of prophecy that he's speaking of in this context. Does that make sense? We have a definition of it over here. We do have the Strong's definition, if you'd like to read that. Prophecy. It is a discourse emanating from divine inspiration, declaring the purposes of God, whether they are reproving, admonishing, comforting, or revealing. And it also could be foretelling. Okay? So this is, this is the kind of the strong definition of what prophecy looks like. And so I think Paul, as we read, is not just talking about prophecy in terms of long like predicting future because he actually says if someone comes into your body and there's prophecy happening then the secrets of their heart would be laid bare so what gift in chapter 12 would lay bare the secrets of someone's heart that would be a word of knowledge Yes, a word of knowledge would lay bare the secrets of someone's heart. Okay, that's like Joe telling the girl, I want to break your mirror. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. So the secrets of her heart were laid bare, not because I knew it, but because of divine inspiration. Right, so God gave me knowledge that I otherwise would not have. 
so I could speak into our speak into her life and it took a lot of guts when I did that and then she's like you don't even know I'm the most considerate person ever and like she just began like to to really open up because of that word of knowledge that God had given for her so the secret of her heart was laid bare so that would be a, in this context a word of prophecy does that make sense and then he talks about tongues and then in conjunction with tongues he speaks of interpretation so prophecy and tongues are kind of the two that he talks about which one does he say we should focus the most on prophecy okay so if you are to he, he actually says both in the end of chapter 12 and at the beginning of chapter 14 that we should eagerly desire the greater gifts eagerly desire the gifts this is a command in scripture yes Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I will be happy to share about that. Um, the, yeah, that's a great question. We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. So he was asking about the interpretation of tongues. Um, and uh, I definitely am looking forward to talking about tongues specifically. And we'll go into a lot of depth with that. Um, so the as we, if we're to eagerly desire these gifts, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy, uh, what does that look like in our daily lives? What does it look like for us to wake up each day and say, okay, God, I'm available, use me. What's it look like for us to get up and say, okay, God, like, I am so limited in my capacity. Like, this was our prayer at staff meeting this morning is we are just so limited in our capacity. Like, I get tapped out fairly quickly in regards to, like, what I can do. When it comes to healing, I'm sorry, God's got to come through. <laughs> I can't do that. Like, I can't recreate your DNA or your cells. Like, I just can't. God can. I can't. Um, but even in our own, like, emotions, we get tapped out. Like, in our own capacity, our our cap is so low in comparison to God. So God, today, I don't want to just live according to what I'm capable of, but what what can I do with you today? What does a life with God look like today? With God as my partner, with God as my right hand, with God as my source, what does it look like for me to walk in the fullness of God? And I think that's what it looks like to live in, you know, like, really eagerly desiring and being available to being used in the gifts. Um, in those nine gifts, I think some people may have a tendency to gravitate towards one or two that they feel comfortable with. Okay? Or maybe they per their personality lends itself toward, towards a gift, one gift more than another. But that doesn't mean that, like, you have a special something unique from God just for that because I think God can use you in any of the gifts based on your availability and the need. Right? So if the need is there and you're available, then God can use you. He can use you in any one of these. Um, if, if you're not available or the need's not there, then there's no reason for him to move. Right? Does that make sense? 
right. So the the next thing is to begin to pray about God. What is your word saying to me? And and we need to check our heart. And before we get into the usage of the gifts, I want to talk about the misuse <laughs> of the gifts. All right. I have grown up where we didn't physically swing from chandeliers. All right. That may have been cool if we had. But like the running around the room, waving hankies, screaming, yelling, shouting, speaking in tongues, everyone praying out loud, really loud all the time. Like this was normal for me. Okay? Praying for someone to get healed, people experiencing healing, people receiving words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Um, sometimes it got it right, sometimes it got it wrong, sometimes it was questionable, sometimes you couldn't tell if this was a move of God or a move of their bowels. I don't know, like, what the world? like you know, there's those weird dances they do. So, like, <laughs> potty dance or something. Um, where, so, one thing that I've had to wrestle with as, like, this Pentecostal skeptic <laughs> is, to, is to really search my own heart for what God's doing inside of me and then hear him through his lens for what's happening to the people around me. Does that make sense? And so one of the, one of the things that uh, I would say is there's three different primary motivations that people may have um, for pursuing the gifts, okay? Or trying to, to seek out God or three different like primary sources. We'll say it that way. So the first one is a sincere move of God. I said three, there may be four. I may add a different category. A sincere move of God. So this is where God divinely from heaven speaks to man to proclaim truth. All right? Speaks to give a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy, a tongue, an interpretation of tongue. Yes. Is this the misuse of the gifts or what are we in? This is this is the this is like the categories which we'll get talk about the misuse. Okay? So this is like the categories of where it comes from. Sorry. I should have like drawn a chart for this. So one is direct from God the Father to man for the benefit of the bride. Okay? This this is beautiful when it works. It's amazing. It's powerful, and God gets the glory. Okay? We see this in the way that Jesus lived and moved all the time. Most of the time. Even with God, there were moments where the Pharisees said, well, he cast out demons through Beelzebub. Like, the demons were being cast out because he has the power of Satan inside of him. Isn't that crazy? Like, a demon was cast out. God did amazing things. And the Pharisees were like, ah, well, that was probably just Satan. Like a bigger demon, a general demon casting out a baby demon just to, like, trick us. <laughs> or they were like, get on to him because he healed someone on the Sabbath. Right? So even though everything goes right, doesn't mean it can't be, mis like, misunderstood or that someone can't, like, uh, incorrectly guess what's happening. So that's... But the, the primary ideal, God speaks, connects with man to benefit the people around us. You can head out. You're good. You're good, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah, you're good. 
I think she's recording it, so if you want to watch the rest, you're welcome to. All right. Then the the next the next one is a a person's desire to follow God is really strong. They want to experience God. They're seeking Him, and so they're willing to like step out to take risk for God. And sometimes that goes really well, and sometimes they miss it. Okay? And that could even be ways that we respond to what we feel is the presence of God. And that can be good or it can be distracting, but that's based on what we are desires. So you may have noticed sometimes I'll like raise my hand during worship. Did God like. Yes, 100%. You like force me to raise my hand? Absolutely not. Okay? God did not make me. Raise my hand, but I did that out of just a response to like sensing God's presence and wanting to connect with God, and that's socially acceptable in this circle. All right, there are churches I've been in where if I did that, that would be extremely disruptive. Have you guys ever been in that church before? That's dumb, that's how I worship. You can't tell me not to worship, but there are churches where that would be disruptive for that body. Okay. Oh, look out! She's getting Pentecostal. All right. <laughs> um, so that that would be a an, an a response to God, and that can actually be coming from a sincere heart. But sometimes even a sincere heart could do something that's disruptive to the community. Does that make sense? Um, an illustration of this is is we had a guy who had grown up in a really rough past. And he felt like any time that anything spoke to his situation, he needed to share his story. Except his story was always like five minutes long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys ever seen that person in a small group before? They're like, <clears throat> so they, they just wanted to get in there, share their two cents, but their two cents was like $5. And so it was ended up being disruptive for the body and needed correction because it was distracting from like truth being shared. Um, so, so that's the second one is that we, we have people that are trying with a sincere heart to connect with God, but it's wrong. This still in the second category, which is humanity. You have humans who do things for the wrong motivation. So that was a good motivation. Good motivation could have good consequences or bad, but you could have people who have, Good motive, like they could have bad motivation. So a person has bad motivation would be, I like Simon, uh, the sorcerer, who's like, hey, give me, like I will pay for this gift so I can do what you do. They're trying to make money, to win friends, to win popularity, to be seen. If I sit in the front, if I raise my hands, then people will look at me and think that person loves Jesus. If we're doing it for that reason, it's a bad reason. And it actually can be perfectly acceptable in that congregation. But if we're doing it for a bad reason, then it's still wrong. Does that make sense? So the first one is from God's inspiration. The second one is human inspiration, which can be either good or bad. And then the third one is actually demonic orientation. So like Satan can actually try to interrupt services, interrupt congregations interrupt God's good work through people acting out in the demonic or, or 
et cetera, et cetera. We've had people where we've literally like, the reason you call them ushers is so they can usher people out who are being disruptive, not just so they can collect money. Yep. Okay? We, <laughs> we one time had uh, our Chi Alpha services like down at the strip where all the bars were. And so we would like drag, have to like be bouncers for our service. Um, it was crazy. So, um, so those are areas. And so as we're talking through this, um, I want to think about like, what is our, the, where's the source? Is it from God? Is it from us? Be blessed. Okay. We'll see in a little bit. Is it from us? And then if it's from us, is it with a good intent or a bad intent? Okay. And then obviously, is it demonic? And so that would be the three, kind of the three sources from which you get like, uh, the church is being connected and being run and operated. And so if we want order, what would we want in good order? What would you guys say? What would good a, a church operating good order look like? Like in terms of service? Yeah. Service? Like from of these categories I gave you, mm-hmm. which ones do you want to see in a church? Moves of God. Moves of God. So move for God speaks to man for the benefit of the body. And that could be through the primary speaker, through other people, maybe in the congregation. Sometimes it just looks like people who are like are walking out and you like see someone in the lobby and they like are you know are emotional and you're like, stop, hey, can I pray for you? That that is a, a way that you're being that you're operating in that in listening or responding to God's spirit, and you could pray a prayer of faith for them to believe for a situation they wouldn't have faith for themselves or to pray for healing for them, right? So those, so the moves of God, all right? The second one, what would be another one that we would want to see happen in the, in the body? There's three sources. So the second one is the human, the human with good intention, okay? So a human, a person, is desiring to connect with God with good intentions. And then I would say not only with good intentions, but also in order. So we'll get to that in a second. What is like the name for that? I don't really have a name. It's just like... I wrote down inspiration. From Okay, yeah. Inspiration, that works. Yeah, I would... I, I like inspiration works here, but the, the inspiration is to connect with God. So it's my heart's intent to connect with God. And because of that... If I'm in a congregation where we wave hangies and run around in circles, then like, let's do it. You know, if I'm in a congregation where I need to sit calmly and pay attention, then I'm going to do that because my intention is, is to listen, honor God, connect with God. And sometimes if I get, if I get out of order, if I do the wrong thing in the wrong group, then I'll be disrupted and it's not beneficial anymore. Right. It no longer benefits the body. It's distracting. So. The ones we don't want to see because they have good intentions and they're going crazy because they have they're like they have a poor motivation or is this demonic? So I'm having to discern during the service what's going on so I can correctly address it and correct that behavior. All right, so Paul is writing to correct behaviors. That's a lot. Any questions on that? That's like Joe's side note. I'm like church management. I'm just trying to see if my mic is on. Sorry, guys. You're good. I can see her. 
She's still here. All right, any questions on any of that? So the first two, because I see a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. So you said the first one is like God directly talking to a person and saying, go do something. Right. And the second one would be a person who wants to honor God, and so they take action in front of it. Right. The person is the is the originator of that action. Yeah. Does that make sense? Okay. So the, the, the three categories are God, man, demonic, or Satan. But the man is divided into one who is correctly intended and one who is like poorly motivated. So good motivation, bad motivation. And, and actually, depending on their congregation, even someone with good motivation in the wrong context can cause disruption and not benefit the body. And their message won't be heard. So, does that make sense? You guys tracking? Yes. What was the last thing you said? You said Paul is writing about something or doing something. So Paul is trying to correct the incorrect usage of the church of these gifts. So, which one of those do you think maybe Paul is addressing in the church in Corinth? Okay, it could be the desires of man for the wrong motivation, or it could even be, I think, for the right motivation, but in the wrong, like, with the wrong control. Like, I think that they're wanting to connect with God, maybe, right? They want to connect with God, so they come and they speak in tongues the whole time. <laughs> and no one gets help. So, uh, or it could be that they came and they wanted to be seen, or they wanted to gain popularity, or they wanted to prove themselves, and so they, they, they're like, trying to prove, and I've seen this in some contexts, they're trying to prove their spiritual, like, status by operating in a gift. And so, like, well, I can pray in tongues all the time. Listen to me pray in tongues. I can pray louder than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Look at me. I can pray in three different languages. Not really. I, don't, I haven't read that. But, like, <laughs> they try to, like, make themselves out to be more because of a bad motivation. And so that, that in, in turn actually hurts the church not benefits it doesn't mean that the gift that the gift of tongues was not given for their benefit but they're using it in the wrong way it's interesting that paul does not condemn speaking in tongues he he condemns the usage of the speaking in tongues so now we'll get into the different types of tongue. Are you guys ready for this? All right. So I would say, I would submit to you that we see three gifts of tongues and four utterance of the Spirit. Okay? Three different types of gifts of tongues and four different utterances of the Spirit. So there's three gifts and an utterance gift. It's not specifically a tongue, but we'll talk about it. So the first gift of tongues is the one that we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And let's look at verse... Um, uh, so verse 2 says, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, For if anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God, indeed, no one understands them, they utter mysteries, by the Spirit. And so this is a, a, a language that has been given through the gift of the Holy Spirit for them to pray 
and it actually is a mystery and they're not talking to other people or for other people's benefit. They're talking to God. So the tongue in a, in a, I would call like the personal edification category is not for the benefit of the bride. And I would even submit that it's not the tongue that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for the benefit of the body. This is a tongue which is designed for personal benefit. In fact, if you goes on to go on to verse four, it says anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. So the first use of the tongue of tongues is for personal edification. So you see that in verse two, verse four, verse five. What does Paul say of this type of tongue? Personal edification. What what does Paul say in verse five of this tongue? I would that every one of you to speak in tongues. So Paul Paul hopes that everyone will speak in tongues for edification. In the body of Christ, for the body, he would even prefer that you prophesy. But he he wants everyone to be able to have this gift of tongues for the personal edification. Yes, Ashley. That's a great question. Um, so, in as we walk through the book of Acts, each time we see the gift of tongues given, the entire group of people appears, are given the gift and speak in tongues. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the question is asked, do you all speak in tongues rhetorically? The answer is no. And so, is it possible for everyone to speak in tongues potentially should i expect for everyone to speak in tongues probably not it's not like an expectation but a test <laughs> right yeah yeah it definitely is not a test like we we talked if you were here two weeks ago we yeah. talked through like that tongues is not a a requirement, a requirement of salvation or anything like that yeah this is this is a a gift that god has given for the bride to edify the individual and to empower them to be a witness. So yes. I'm just going to wake up one morning and start speaking that thing that I just. Started. You could. You could just wake up one morning and start praying in tongues. I I was first like given the gift of tongues when I was nine years old, and I was like at a kids' church convention, where this was normal, and they're like, "Hey, everyone should receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit." I'm like, "Me!" And I started speaking in tongues. <laughs> They, they actually did lay, lay hands on me before I started praying in tongues. But um, I've had friends who have received the gift of tongues spontaneously while driving their car. Um, I, did I tell you guys the story of Noah? Um, he was... No. Um, Noah was a student who came to Clemson. He was from a Catholic background and uh, got saved through Chi Alpha. He, he was like a cultural Christian, you know, went, went to Mass and had some basic knowledge of Christianity, but really wasn't living for Christ at all. Got saved. Um, he started getting, he, we went to like this mega service. There was like a mega service called After Dark. Joe White came and spoke, and he walks up to me. He's like, he's like, Joe, What's the matter with me? Like his hands are shaking, his you know his voice is trembling. He's like, "What's going on? 
I don't understand. I'm like, it's the Holy Spirit. He's like, what's going on? What's happening in my body? It's like, it's the Holy Spirit. It's okay, man. God just like, he's just, his power is on you so much that you, your physical body doesn't know how to respond. And it, I, I was like, let's get together tomorrow and we'll talk more about this. And uh, so this is probably two months after he had become a Christian. And so I got together with him at his apartment. We began talking about, and I walked through the same, like, scriptures that I went through with you guys. So the book of Acts, we talked about the Holy Spirit in chapter 2 and chapter 9 and chapter 12 and chapter 19. Like, all of these gifts were the places where the Holy Spirit is poured out and where people began to speak in tongues. And as I'm wrapping it up, his roommate comes walking in to, like, the suite. Like, says they've got, like, a little living area and then two bedrooms. And his roommate comes in and, like, well, this is awkward now. And then goes into his room. He has his door open. And so I'm, I'm wrapping up. And usually, like, at that moment, I like to be able to pray for someone to receive the gift. Like, that makes natural sense. Like, let me pray for you. And um, so I was like, okay, so Noah, normally at this point, I would like to pray, but I know your roommate just came in. Is it cool if we just like kind of pray a little bit? And he's like, yeah, that's great. And so I went like with the most mundane, like non-aggressive prayer ever. <laughs> I laid my hands on it like, God, thank you so much for Noah. Thank you that you're working in his life and that you're moving on him. And I as I'm getting like the first three or four sentences out, suddenly he starts praying in tongues. He has never heard this in his entire life. All he's done is like read scriptures about this is supposed to be normal. And suddenly he's ignited and begins praying in tongues. So like I start praying in tongues too, just so he's is like, he isn't alone in this. He's so excited. We prayed there for probably five minutes. He goes, he calls his dad. He's like, dad, you won't believe it. I was praying in tongues. Like it talks about in the Bible. His dad's like, that's nice. I used to go to church where they did that too. He's like, this is so awesome. He's like, Joe, we need to go do something. I was like, I don't know. What do you want to do? He's like, we need to go on campus. Like, okay, let's go on campus. And so we went on campus and started witnessing to a people, a couple people. We ended up leading this girl who had grown up in the Lutheran background to Christ. Hey. Who, because like exactly as Acts chapter two says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be endued with power to be witnesses. And so that's what happened to him. And there was no, like, workup. It was just, like, gift, edified body operating in, like, a passion to witness. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's what the Holy Spirit looks like. And I think that that personal edification is that emboldenment, empowerment, and, and that connection. And actually, it just continues to describe verse I'm skipping a little bit, but verse 13, it says, For the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret. Um, and then verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but I would rather that their church speak five words instead of 10,000 words in a tongue. So the tongue, this type of tongue, of which Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, is not designed for the corporate advancement, but for the personal edification. And he says that um, there are, uh, hang on, let me get back to it. Can I ask you a question? Yes, about? go ahead. How come it's talking about the tongues and then it starts talking about things that weren't spoken? Um, verse? Verse 20, it just goes into thinking like, thinking like children. How does, how does it go from tongues to thinking like children? 
Yeah, yeah. So this is, um, I, I think that he's looking at the way they're understanding tongues is, uh, is that they're only stuck on personal edification and they're not looking at the bigger picture of the way that God wants to work in the, bro in the church. Does that make sense? I think that may be what he's referencing there. And he's, he's saying like, hey, I'm going to speak in tongues, but my people won't even listen. Um, so he, he actually quotes Old Testament law in that. But um, it says, verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So if I am, if I am praying in tongues, my spirit is praying, my spirit is communing, my spirit is connecting with God, but my mind doesn't understand. So when I'm praying in tongues, my brain doesn't know what I'm saying. Weird, right? But that's, that's what happens. And so he says, so what should I do? Verse 15, I will pray with my spirit, or I will pray in tongues, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit or in tongues. But I will also sing in understanding. Verse 16. Other, uh, otherwise, when you praise and sing God in the spirit, how can anyone else who is in the position of a choir say amen? So if I'm just, if I'm just praying in tongues or I'm singing in tongues, which I've like sing in tongues a few times. It's pretty awesome. Just like, as you're praying or singing, just it's like a, a song to God. And, but you guys can't appreciate what I'm saying or what I'm singing if you don't understand what I'm, like the language, right? So it's, it's for personal benefit, my communication with God's spirit. It's not uh, designed for the edification of the body. So that's the first type of tongue is for personal edification. That's a long time to talk about personal edification. You guys got it? Okay. There's only four. Don't worry. Number two. This is not as long. Number two is for the edification of the church. Okay. The edification of the church. So what would this one be? What would the edification of the church look like? If tongues for the edification of the church. Someone interpreting. So this is so the, the the tongues for the edification of individual believer is actually an individual believer praying to God and communing with God. A message in tongues for the body originates from God to a person who prays in tongues, who speaks in tongues for a corporate body, and then the interpreter will respond and provide an interpretation. So it would be like a prophet going to Exactly. And they would interpret that message. Um, I have seen this in small groups as small as three people. And I've seen this in auditoriums of 5,000. I've seen it be disruptive where it's not good. I've seen it be really healthy and beneficial. I've been in churches where the same old lady gets up and shares the message in tongues and the same like brother stands up and interprets every week because that, that they're like, they're like, that's their job. That's just their thing. They just do it every time. Sometimes they're probably right. Sometimes it's probably because 
maybe that's just what they're used to. But that's just their mode. And sometimes you're like, I don't know, that, that sounds kind of kind of like what you heard in the morning gossip column. So, <laughs> so again, there are things that originate from God and things that originate from man. And so people can want to be used or even attempt to be used in the gifts and not, and it be wrong, right? Maybe sometimes well-intended, sometimes maybe for personal gain. Mm. But if it truly is originating from God's throne, he speaks through an individual in an unknown tongue, and then the corporate body in that moment, it's like a holy hush comes over the crowd. There was a moment when I was with 5,000 college students in a basketball arena in Dallas, Texas at a World Mission Summit two, like two times ago. And we were in between worship and beginning to like transition into a prayer time. And suddenly like off to the side of the arena, someone started speaking in tongues. And initially it was pretty quiet because like you have a huge band with like mega speakers running. But somehow they heard it through their in-ears and everything else. Like God inspired them to totally stop playing and it was total silence in the entire auditorium and someone gave out a message in tongues and then from across the auditorium on the other side someone interpreted that tongue and it basically was a challenge uh, for the bride of Christ to step out of their mediocrity and into like a life of honor and service to God and though and the bride was con like the body was convicted and actually went into a time of response as a result of that word. Yeah. Um, sometimes interpretations can be like interpretations of, of what God, of edification. You know, like we're hearing God, self, praising God in other languages. In fact, we'll talk about that in the third category, which is coming up. <laughs> but oftentimes that could be a, a let's go back to what, what prophecy is. It could be a, an interpretation of tongue will have a similar motivation or a similar uh, result as prophecy, which do you want to pull the prophecy slide up again for me? Which could be any one of the following. Declaring God's purpose, reproving, admonishing, comforting, revealing, or foretelling. Okay, so any of those arenas could be a a like the interpretation of a tongue that would provide edification to the bride. So you have personal edification is the first category of tongues, the first use. The second one is from God for the benefit of the bride at large. Now, what is the proper use of this form based on Paul's admonishment in chapter 14? You guys remember? It should have an interpreter and it should happen two or three times before you interpret. Like, so you shouldn't just have like tons and tons of messages and tongues with no interpretation. You should have uh, one or two and then have an interpreter. You shouldn't just go forever speaking in tongues. And he, what does he say should happen for the person who's, who is speaking in their private tongue, in their private personal edification prayer language? You guys remember? It says specifically, Ed, 
if there is no interpreter, this is verse 28, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Do you think that that means that he can't speak in tongues at church or that he should speak quietly to himself in church? What do you guys think? Speak out loud to one another. Yes. David? I believe that it's actually in silence. Yeah, you're not projecting. You're not trying to overcome the speaker or disrupt the service. You're praying quietly to yourself. You don't have to like go and hide in your personal prayer closet, but you're praying to God in that prayer language in a personal context maybe in a corporate setting just like you can sing out loud in a corporate setting but you're not disruptive okay alright Brittany do you have a question I was just going to say like at church sometimes when we like go through the last song mm -hmm. I like just kind of look around and see what's going on and I always look to the side and I always see Pastor Steve he always is like this and he's always praying mm -hmm. so he's obviously not out loud yeah, you can just pray. You're moving your lips. You're quietly praying, but you're not disruptive. Okay, so I think that this is what Paul's, Paul's saying is like, if there's no interpreter or if you would be disruptive in that setting or if the church does not believe that that's in operation, then we shouldn't try to interrupt the entire church. We can talk to the pastor afterwards and try to encourage them to operate in the gifts. <laughs> huh? I said I wish we could. We've talked to Pastor Tom. We can't now, though, because COVID. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can talk to them privately, but we shouldn't interrupt and disrupt, okay? And therefore, we're praying to ourselves and with God, and even if we're praying in another language or praying quietly to ourselves. Our American church is so different than the church around the world. If you go around the world, most churches, everyone prays out loud at the same time, really loud and no one knows if you're praying in tongues or not or praying in some other language or praying in English or not which could be an unknown tongue for them but like <laughs> they're they're praying as a big group all together all at the same time all really loud and that's perfectly normal for us yes please comment <laughs> just listens to him pray and that makes me really sad um, for several reasons but mostly because um, the people aren't participating as well um, and like we talked earlier about this is already something that was stirring in my mind we talked earlier about how I don't even think Joe said this Joe didn't say this I was just <laughs> thinking about it um, how if the spirit were to come and interrupt then the the, the sermon or the, the service would be longer than an hour long. Um, and our culture is so driven by time, mm -hmm. less driven by relationship, that um, an interruption of the spirit um, would be an interruption into their life. Um, it would be more of an inconvenience than seen as a movement of God, mm -hmm. uh, which is also sad. But, but really, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. There are so many 
most of the other cultures throughout the world, they have this really beautiful thing where everybody prays together, and it's it's lovely because we aren't just listening to a set speaker um, talk to God for us, but instead we're all engaging, um, just like just like it talks about um, in Acts, just like it talks about in Corinthians. So that's just my thoughts on that. Awesome. Thanks, Hannah. So yeah, so the there are many churches, most churches around the world, where everyone praying out loud simultaneously is actually very normal, and you wouldn't be able to discern what an individual is saying as far as like the distinct characters because the prayer time is a mutual prayer time for everyone. Now, if I were to get up and start speaking in an unknown language, that would not benefit you guys. But if we're in a prayer time and everyone's praying in, in an unknown tongue or in English, it wouldn't matter because it's a corporate prayer for the entire bride, for the entire body. And we're individually communicating with God, uh, even, but even though we are in a corporate context. Yes, Blake. Yeah, it's like they have the gift and they're using it, but it's just like they're they're praising God. But yeah, that's great. Yeah, we you you may have been out, but I said it's interesting that Paul doesn't condemn them from speaking in tongues. He just tells them to correct their usage of it. So he doesn't tell them to stop speaking in tongues. He just says to correct the usage of it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the um and so that. The, the desire is to connect with God and commune with God and let my spirit connect with God. But if I'm doing it in the wrong way, in the wrong context where it's disruptive, then I'm no longer benefiting the bride, the body at large. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, but even more importantly, Paul would say, than me connecting with God is that we're able to build other, other, people, other people up towards God. And that's where prophecy, Paul says, is a greater gift. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of prophecy – Words of edification are even more valuable than me personally having the gift of tongues because it can benefit the people around me. Does that make sense? So that's where we have to pursue that, quote unquote, that greater gift. All right, so that's the, the, so you had personal edification, tongues for personal edification. The second one was tongues for the corporate edification, right, for the corporate body. The third type of tongues is where we get into your favorite challenging verses. So this is verse um, 22 and 23, well, 22 through 25. So it says tongues then, verse 22, are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Wait, I thought tongues was for personal edification and for the edification of the bride. So how is it that it is a sign for non-believers? Okay, so obviously there must be a different yet undiscovered purpose in our meeting today. It actually was one of the initial purposes that we see when the gift was first given. So let's go ahead and read. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Verse 23, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and the inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Wait, I thought verse 22 said that 
tongues was a sign for the unbelievers. And then verse 23 says that if they hear you speaking in tongues, they're going to think they're crazy. Which one is it? Mm. My guess is, is that Paul is actually referencing two different purposes for tongues. Okay. Now let's jump back to Acts chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. So, Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit's poured out, tongues, fire, wind. Everyone comes like stumbling out of the upper room. Both Jews and converts of Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And so, there is a gift of tongues, which is for the benefit as a sign for the non-believer. And that is actually the God-given inspiration to speak a language to a people of which language you do not know. <laughs> so, imagine if someone happened to be in the room who knew Swahili. I can't even say it right. Swahili, and I, I, Joe Country Joe, who know like five words in Spanish and six words in Arabic, tried to like talk to them, and they're like, I got nothing, because my, they don't know English, and then suddenly I start speaking in tongues, which to all of you is complete babble, and to myself as well, because I don't even know how to count to three, but for them, in Swahili, it's a beautiful expression of God's goodness and God's glory. And it convinces them of God's sovereignty because he's given me this gift. Thus, it is a sign for the unbelievers. The tongue that I spoke in happened to be Swahili. Oh, okay. So the unknown tongue for me and for the rest of you was actually a known tongue for him, which was a sign of God's grace and life governance, which is what happened here in Acts chapter 2. So in that context, tongues is actually a beneficial sign for the unbeliever because they're hearing God being glorified in their own language or they're being admonished in their own language, a language that I otherwise did not know. Or that they are. I have heard of this happening in modern day contexts as well. So this is not something that only happened in the book of Acts. I am familiar with and know people where this has happened in modern day. Yes. It happened with my mom. It happened with your mom? Yeah. She, she tells me that I'm supposed to be driving like foreign law or something. Uh huh. And she, she knew like broken Spanish, but she just like started going fluent and knew what was said. And because she was all like, she was all like, oh, God can't forgive me. I've killed too many people. Wow. And um, she started just like going full. I don't, I don't know what she said, but. Wow. So, yeah, your mom was in Guatemala. I don't know. And like, she had this know. guy that God gave her the words to encourage him and love him. Yeah. So that's, so God, so that's the, the, the third function of tongues is actually for the benefit of a non-believer. Okay. Now, I will, I will give you guys a caveat here. There are some biblical scholars who believe that the tongues that was mentioned 
in the book of Acts chapter 2 was some sort of pre, uh, I'll think of the word, uh, Babel, okay, pre-Babel universal tongue. like a universal heavenly language. And so it wasn't that you had people from each of these nations hearing their own unique language, but that it was a singular universal language that bridged all. So that is what some people believe. Some biblical scholars would espouse that that is what is happening there. I, I don't think that there's enough evidence to support that but that is a thought and I do think when we get to heaven there will be some universal understanding so there could be a universal language I'm not going to discount that possibility but when I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 it says though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels implying that there are multiple languages of angels and multiple languages of men does that make sense so it is possible that when one of those 120 people came down, they were not all speaking a singular tongue, but they were speaking in diverse tongues, tongues that were interpreted by people from different regions, which showed them this was divine origin. Okay, so it is a sign for the unbelievers. Does that make sense? So if that is a sign for the unbeliever, then what's going to happen if they walk in and they just hear babbling for personal edification that they don't understand? Then they're going to have the same response as the rest of the church, which is like, what? And that's of no benefit to the unbeliever, and they're going to think you're crazy. Literally, that's what he says. Does that make sense? So so I think that's the best way to break that scripture down is that they're, they're, it's not that he's He's speaking towards two different functions of tongues. Still this, the same word tongues is used, possibly, but it's different fun functions for that same tongue. That's my best guess. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Okay. The final one, and I don't know if I gave you the scripture, is Romans 8, 26 and 27. And this is not a tongues being used as a language specifically, but there is another form of spiritual groaning that's mentioned in Romans chapter 8. And so in Romans chapter 8 verse 26 it says in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness. Yeah. We do know, not know what we ought to pray for. Have you ever been in that moment where you just don't know how to pray? Yeah. And it says for the Spirit himself will intercede for us through wordless groans. So, so you have a language that is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, some, and oftentimes I will tell you when I feel the necessity to pray in, in tongues, it's when I run out of words. Okay? Like my English is incapable of expressing my heart's desire heavenly language or whatever language God has given me, right? But there also is a, a groaning that it references here in Romans chapter 8, and it says 
Verse 27, and he searches our hearts and he knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Usually, I will say that the these type of like guttural groanings that take place are directly related to God's heart and compassion for the lost. Okay, so this is a little bit different than traditional tongues where you're speaking a language. This is a guttural groan, and the best way to describe it is to imagine a woman who is in labor and the pain and the agony that she goes through as she, like, from the inmost part of her being, groans in pain. And that is almost the, like the same feeling, expression, heart of like the desire of God to birth someone into the kingdom of God. Would you like to share this with me too? You've been talking. I've asked Hannah to help me out with this part. me to share a little bit about this because it's something that God has caused to happen for me frequently. Um, it's the way that he describes it is pretty um, accurate. Um, I've also heard it described, I don't know, Joe, if you've heard it this way, travailing prayer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just a it's really hard to describe. It's a, the, I can't, I didn't think on this before, um, but it's like as though something is tearing out um, from inside, um, but like a great turmoil in my spirit, a really strong desire to just fall on my face in prayer and to cry out before God. But oftentimes it's not even something that I acknowledge. Like it's not anything that I'm aware of. I don't know why I feel something must be prayed for. I don't know what it is that I'm praying for, but I will spend time on the floor in front of God crying out, um, groaning, um, crying, just asking for his will, whatever it is, um, without actually knowing what that is. Um, and it's just, I think it's been an avenue for, um, for his compassion to be expressed, for his um, will to be revealed. But in a lot of ways, it's really weird um, and confusing. Yeah. I don't know if that's helpful at all. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. Good job. That's great. So this travail, this groan, this utterance uh, usually is not actually related to our own personal distress. Okay? So you, you guys have been through your own personal stress, your own personal frustration. Usually this is related to God's heart and compassion for someone else being expressed through like an intercessor through you as a, as a person praying, travailing, weeping, like desiring, groaning for their, their breakthrough, someone else's breakthrough, someone else's life. And sometimes you may know who that is, and sometimes you may not. But like it says, 
We don't have Hannah doesn't have words. She doesn't even have the knowledge of exactly why she's praying or how she's praying or who she's praying for. But you can pray, and, and I would say even in the same, like it says that you should ask God for discernment. So if you're praying for personal edification, you should ask God, what, what am I praying about? If you're travailing over someone then, then, or over something and you just don't know why, then like ask God who you're praying for, and he may bring someone to mind. Or ask God for specifics so you can mentally assent and to pray for that whatever is he's groaning like travailing inside of you. So four different types of prayer and purposes of, of prayer through the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. Any questions? And then we're going to shut it down. We're going to finish up. So any questions on any of that? It's been pretty exhausting. Are you guys exhausted? <laughs> yes, you guys are good listeners. I, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, so the question is then, if you are a pastor or in a position as a leader, your job is to discern origin. So if someone says, I think I have a word, or I think God's telling me something, or I think I have a scripture, I mean, it can even be scripture, but if they're just doing it because they want to be known as a person who can do scripture, or as a person who knows it all, that's not a good motivation, right? So if that is the case, we need to deal with it. So there, there are proper ways to manage that situation. If it's divine from God, what should be the proper response? Open wide the doors and let God come in, right? Okay? And, and honestly, the modern church has a genuine challenge in figuring out how to make space for God to move, to give him space to interrupt, okay? Um, I had past, I, again, I've grown up in this context, and so I have pastoral friends where we will have, like at our big conferences, we'll have discerners. If someone feels like God's inspiring them to say something or to read a scripture or whatever, they'll go up, they'll talk to the discerner, the discerner will listen, and discern whether this is from God or just for them, or maybe it's like bad pizza they ate, or maybe it's just they want to be in the spotlight, you know? And then they'll discern if this is for the public body, then they will give them a chance to go up and to speak and to pray out or to give a late message in tongues, and then we'll wait for interpretation, or they'll give a word of prophecy, a word of scripture, a word of admonishment. And so that th you can be naturally supernatural without being weird. And the body, like the context of the corporate church, we need to figure this out. Um, yes. You Britain. were talking about, I'm sorry to interrupt. You're good. But um, you, were talking, <laughs> you, were talking about, you're, you were talking about the church, the modern like corporate setting. Yeah. Having a hard time letting God move in the churches. And I think kind of something Hannah said earlier, but it's because they're so on a time schedule it's like we have to stick to the hour mark because we have another service at eleven thirty eight. Right. If they're so time, time, time. But I think if churches would just let that time thing like loosen up a bit. So what if you run over a little bit? Like it's not a big deal because it's it's just God. Right. You, we have so to give God space. Yeah. Dude, it if I've been in services where 
one service ran into the next service because God just showed up. And when the next service, like people started arriving for the next service, the first service still hadn't been dismissed yet. Because no one left because they're all on their faces on the floor chasing after God. I've, I've been in numerous services within the last year. Um, I won which happened in the last year, but numerous services in my life where this, the, the message that was prepared was never preached. Because God began to move so much in worship that people began to come to the altar and repent and to seek after God's face. And that does not mean that God cannot inspire a pastor with a divine word a week or two weeks in advance. He can and he will and he does and we should honor that and respect that. It doesn't mean that the, the and, and there is a danger, I'll even say this, where we in some charismatic circles over-spiritualize spontaneity. So like it's not real if I didn't just feel it today. Like you could, God can give you an inspired word three weeks before something happens. Okay, it doesn't only have to like, oh, no, no, I feel the goosebumps. It must be God now. Like, no, you can like he can give you a God word that you build into and invest in and sow over and pray over and read over and then are able to give a word of encouragement to a bride, you know, to the body at service. So it can. But we shouldn't we shouldn't miss the opportunity for God to work in us and through us. And there are some churches large churches in the area where maybe they were more open at a time and then they had someone not operate in the right way, like the mark. So first one was, it's perfect from God, man, let it happen. The second one is someone is pursuing God in a healthy way in a, in a um, you know, like they're praying quietly in tongues to themselves or they're raising hands in worship in a, in a body where that's, Okay, all right? Or maybe they're praying out loud in a corporate setting and that's acceptable or the music's so loud it's not disruptive. If it's not disruptive and they're doing it to benefit God, like to connect with God personally, maybe they want to get down and kneel on the floor. Maybe they're the only one doing it, but like it's not going to cause everyone else to like freak out just because they did, okay? What, what would we do in that context? Well, as a as a minister, as a director, or as a leader, what should we do? Let it happen. Let it happen. Yeah, you're right. Let it happen. In fact, we should encourage people with finding personal expressions of their love and grace to God in the corporate context, as long as it's not disruptive. Well, why don't, like, not just that church specifically, but why don't they open the altar enough to encourage people to share the love of God? Yeah, so the... The altar has gone the way of the church hop, the pew hopping. I don't know. So there's, I think the, in the larger church, when you have people come up to the altar, you can't control how long they're going to pray. And if you have another service coming in in five minutes, you don't want people lingering at the altar. So you need to let them pray outside or in another room or in their small group. So again, the, the, Kingdom as is expressed in the like giant church is not the, the church that was seen in the early church. Doesn't mean it's wrong, doesn't mean it doesn't have a function. Jesus fed the five thousand. Okay? He did reach the reach the corporate body and he didn't have an altar call 
when he fed the 5,000. But there were people of the 5,000 who followed Jesus and who made real commitments to him. They, and then there was hundreds, thousands of others who just came there for free fish. Right? They just wanted a show and then they walked away. But Jesus did not collect the question. All right. Then the, if someone comes in and they're being disruptive, they're the one that's interrupting small group or they're praying too loud out in tongues and distracting people. What should we do in that context? What would, what would be the best thing? Yes. Um, take them aside and ask them to leave. Yeah. Rather than one-to-one, not calling out in front of everybody. Perfectly. So privately, we're going to admonish them and encourage them much like Paul did in this letter. Okay, so we're going to say, hey, listen, I know that you're trying to connect with God, but I'm concerned about how it's disrupting others. Or I see that you're up here, like, raising your hands, and I see you looking around while you're doing that. Why are you doing that? Are you doing it to be seen, or are you doing it because you're really trying to connect with God? Right? So if it's on a personal context, most of the time we can correct it. It may be weird for everyone in that moment. Because it's all awkward. But we're not going to try to embarrass that person by calling them out in that moment. Okay? But if it is of demonic origin, intentionally from the gates of hell to disrupt and deter the word of God, then that needs to be addressed immediately from the pulpit, corrected, and that person escorted out or whatever needs to happen to fix it so that it does not deter the message of the gospel being proclaimed. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's um, it's a good question. I, I think that the the thing that's going to be the obvious factor in, in a corporate setting. If someone is yelling, screaming, being like intentionally disruptive, then then that's something you're going to say, wow, that's, that's not right. We need to get them out of here. More than likely, they're not in the right headspace and they may be possessed. Okay? Um, if someone is just talking too loud, then it may be hard to know if this is demonic or not, but a pastor can say, hey, you know, can someone please help this person out and, um, you know, ushers can walk them out and talk to them in the foyer and encourage them and help them, take care of them, or you can cast the demon out of them, okay? So, um, but the, uh, but if you're in the moment where it's a, you know, it's a small circle, it's not really a big corporate gathering, there's just two or three people having a conversation, and you're trying to discern of what origin this like stronghold is if, if is it oppression or possession or is this just like a, a, a personal sin struggle that they're go, dealing with then or you could be dealing with someone who has middle mental illness so the question could be is this chemical is this physical is this demonic right so we can be asking those questions searching God's spirit trying to discern and to pray over that person and that's where the gift of discernment um, and also learning how to listen to God and listen to them becomes really important so yeah okay awesome so final 
the final thing is, and this is the final thing for Paul too, all right? So this is not just Joe's final, but Paul's final as well, is chapter 14 at the very end. He says, verse 32, for the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord. So God's priority is peace. And even if you have a message in tongues, but that would be disruptive, you can be quiet because the prophecy is subject to the prophet. God will not like possess your body and force you to do something against your will. In other words, God's a gentleman. <laughs> okay? So you can make that choice how to respond in that moment. And, and I would encourage you, if you're in a church that's not comfortable with these things, then maybe you could talk to your pastor, talk to the lead pastor, talk to different people and say, hey, this is something that I see in the word, what's happening in the church. Is there a context if this were to happen where someone could express this in our church? I think that'd be a really good question to ask. Because Paul says we should eagerly desire the greater gifts. Okay. Pray for us. I'm so sorry we're so long. You guys are amazing. You are. Give it up. There's just so much, so much, so much here. So, okay. Hey, we, we, we did it all in two weeks. We could have made this like a month. It could have been a whole month. We did it in two weeks. All right. Next week, we're going to have something fun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of something uh, creative and fun for us to talk about. Um, not game night, but something good. We could do game night. Do you guys want to try and game night sometime? Maybe sometime. Maybe not a Tuesday night. And then Hannah, when is your when is your thing? Yeah, David, I haven't gotten to talk about it yet. Okay. What date was it? It's I think it's next Tuesday. Oh, is it next um, Tuesday? Okay. Yeah, that may or may not still be the case, depending on factors of things. Yes. Um, do you want me to give it a short rundown? Yes, that would be great. So that okay. this would be in like Chi Alpha either next week or if it doesn't work out next week, sometime in the next couple weeks soon, Hannah yeah. is going to be doing something with us. So, yeah, so I think most of you, if not 